Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sachs's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I'm pleased to be talking with my guests about the year in review. We've all been through a lot, and this is a chance for us to reflect, celebrate, and maybe even gripe a little bit about what 2021 was. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you for having us. All right. So before we start, I'd like to start each episode with a little get to know you portion, because we're all more than just what our jobs are and our our job titles. So if you would each introduce yourselves and just share with us a little bit about who you are outside of work. So hobbies, interests, things you're reading, watching, listening to whatever you choose to share. And Jason, if you would not mind starting, that would be wonderful. Of course. Hello, hello, everyone. Again, my name is Jason Combs. Um, it's so hard for me like not to instantly go into talking about like my job title and everything like that. So that is even like a challenge for me. Um, but uh, to start off, I guess some of my hobbies include hiking, cooking. Um, I recently got into baking, I'm trying not to burn the house down. Um, some of my interests are, you know, music. I really love Fridays. It's my favorite day of the week because new music is released on Fridays. I'm a huge horror movie fan. I also um, am really big into anime. Um, I'm currently listening to my favorite group of all time. It's a UK pop group named Little Mix. Uh, They just released a Greatest Hits album a few weeks ago, and I've been listening to that since it was released. I've also been listening to um, some Tierra Whack. Uh, She just released, I think, like three EPs uh, simultaneously over the past three weeks. Um, and also Khalid, he just released an EP too. So just a lot of music going on in my life, trying to, you know, recover from a, a hard semester and not as much into reading, but um, that's a little bit about me. I'm excited to be here talking with you all today um, and interested in hearing what my amazing colleagues have to say about some of the topics too. Well, and Jason, before Kwana introduces herself, just a quick public congratulations on finishing up your degree this semester. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Kwana, will you share a little bit with us about you? Of course. So my name is Kwana Holden and I'm like Jason. I'm also about to go into this is all the things I do. (laughs) Um, So try not to do that. But I guess outside of work for me, my hobbies are a lot of makeup beauty related things. So um, I have a YouTube channel where I do a lot of different things. Um, For me, I haven't been listening to a lot of music lately, actually. I've been really into like a lot of self-care or self-help type thing. So I've been listening to a lot of Abraham Hicks, actually, where she talks um, about like, you know, vibration and positivity and law of attraction, all those types of things. That's what I've been focusing on a lot recently. So um, yeah, it's pretty much me. (laughs) Great. And Sam. Hey, y'all. Sam Press. And yep, of course, I told myself I wasn't going to do it, but it just kind of rolls off the tongue, uh, going straight into the job description. Um, Outside of work, I'm a cat dad. Um, His name is Hawkeye, so I love uh, hanging out with him. Um, I'm also watching uh, a lot of the Marvel movies, trying to just re-up and get ready for all the new stuff happening in the MCU. I've seen Spider-Man twice already, and this is being recorded on, what, December 20th? So it's only been out for four days. Um, I'll try and avoid talking about it. Uh, to avoid any spoilers. 
Um, but yeah, so that's a big part of what I like to do in my free time is watch some movies, listen to music. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Lawrence lately, um, which is one of my favorite groups. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about what we've got on the agenda today. Wonderful. Well, now I guess maybe the easier question um, or the more natural go-to places. So who are you as professionals? If you'll talk a little bit about your journey into your current roles, you know, whatever you want to share about where you are and what you're doing right now or where you're headed if you're in transition mode. Um, spoiler alert, one of our guests is in transition mode. So, um, and then also we're always talking about you know, the field of student affairs is really small. So if you would take a little bit of time and talk about someone or a few people who've been really instrumental in your either coming into the field or your work in student affairs, it's another chance, I think, for our listeners to go, oh, I've worked with that person too, or they had a really impact, a big impact on my experience as a student or a professional. And this time, Kwana, if you wouldn't mind getting us started, that would be great. No problem. Um, so my journey into student affairs, I feel like I have like one of the really basic re repeating answers, which is I was really involved just in undergrad with a lot of different student leadership positions and organizations and um, really looked up to the people who were advising me in those roles and then just started asking a lot of questions about how did you get to do this awesome job that you're doing. Um, so that's kind of how I got into student affairs. Um, I would say for sure this field is definitely really small. For me, my mentors, um, one of my biggest ones was actually the vice president of student services at my undergrad, who I ended up coming back and working for, so Dr. Amanda Lammers. And then, um, you know, since grad school's been over and everything, Deontay Brown, um, Dr. Deontay Brown now, <laughs> has also been a really great mentor for me. He was um, my supervisor while I was, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, y'all. Uh, I don't know how to make this um, He was my supervisor while I was a graduate assistant at Clemson University in our program. Um, and he has just been really great for me, helping me transition into professional life and just even being someone who could advise me on moving and transitioning beyond my first professional role. So I've really appreciated having him. Did I answer all the questions? <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you. You set the bar so high. So good luck, Sam, you're next. Well, I um, fortunately with that high bar, I get to tell my story a lot um, in my practice with students. So I am a career coach at Louisiana State and the Oatland Career Center. Um, so a lot about my journey into student affairs started with my undergraduate degree. Um, I hope this doesn't go too long. So Michelle, just give me the red light if I go too long. Um, but I was in um, in high school. I really thought I wanted to be a band director. Um, and when it came time for me to go to college and it started applying to places, I applied to everywhere as a music major. Um, I ended up only getting into one school, which was Old Dominion University, which I'm so glad I wouldn't change anything for the world. Um, but by the time I got to orientation, I had done some soul searching and decided that that ultimately wasn't um, the best plan for me. Um, so when I got to the table at orientation and the lady said, what's your major? I said, um, elementary education. 
uh, and just kind of like guessed and, you know, went with that for, you know, four years, uh, actually five years, um, and went through that whole program. I really enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed the interpersonal work with students and that education aspect. Um, but at the end of my program, I had 200 hours of practicum uh, where I was in the classroom with students and that was all I was doing. And I was so tired at the end of it. I said, I can't do this for, you know, another 30 years if I couldn't get through, you know, 200 hours. Um, so I was at the end of my program, I was graduating and I, you know, said to my advisor, who I'll talk about in a minute, like, hey, I don't think I want to do this. What do I do now? Right. Um, so the person that I talked to, um, uh, his name is Joe Ritchie. He's the director of first year student success at Old Dominion University. Um, and he was my fraternity advisor uh, for FIMU Alpha, where um, you know I was very involved. I got to be interfraternity council president. I was very involved with IFC, um, which led to me being involved in student government and other things across campus. Um, and he had me reflect on that. Like, what did you enjoy in college? And it was all that stuff, all that involvement stuff. Um, so from there, you know, he said, what I do is a job, right? You know, like working at schools and uh, that led me to student affairs. That led me to Clemson University, um, where again, great, the great faculty, Michelle, you and everyone there um, really inspired me to really keep going with that and really find my niche, which ended up being career services. Um, so I'm ever thankful for that, for all of you at Clemson and um, the Clemson Career Center. And I'm so excited that I get to tell that story to my students who come in and talk to me and say, you know, like, I don't know what I want to do. And I get to show them that whole narrative of going from a band director to a career counselor that, you know, 17, 18 year old Sam would have had no idea that that was even a possibility. So that's how I found myself in student affairs. Sam, do you want to share, you, you talked about a couple of mentors, anybody else that you want to highlight in particular about kind of bringing you where you are? Yeah, so I think um, maybe not anyone specific, but being at Clemson and their career center um, really, really set the high bar of, you know, if you ask me in undergrad where the career center was at ODU, I'd say, I don't even know what a career center is. Um, but being able to work with them and all of them who are so professional and such content experts in their area, um, you know, shout out to them for being the number one many of years over the last five years uh, in the nation, um, really set me up for success and giving me the experience to be successful in the world I'm in now. Great, thanks so much. All right, Jason, how about you? Yeah, so, you know, my, I guess, transition into student affairs was an interesting one. So I was at Morehouse from 2009 to 2011, and then I transferred to Clemson um, in the fall of 2011. And um, during that transition, in my first few years of undergrad, I realized that, you know, two of my most salient identities were my gay and Black identities. And so um, had some experiences at both institutions that allowed me to kind of um, develop within those identities a little bit more. Um, after transferring to Clemson and then graduating in 2013, um, I started working at the university full time and I had no idea what student affairs really was. Um, when I transferred to Clemson, I really wasn't invested in uh, student support services. Um, I didn't really live on campus, so um, I wasn't in LLC, so I really wasn't uh, accustomed to or I didn't really have an understanding of like how the university could support me. Um, and so after I was hired at Clemson in 2015 in a full-time capacity, uh, I really started to uh, 
dive deeper into how some of my identities impact my experiences of the university, my experiences of the world, um, how people experience me, all that good stuff, um, some of it bad. Um, and then uh, I really, really just grew an attraction to the Gantt Multicultural Center at Clemson. And I think that was really when I started looking into student support. Um, and as I was leading this college access program um, for my full-time job, I was realizing that, you know, I had some shortcomings on my own as a student affairs practitioner. You know, there were some things I needed to learn. There were some things I needed to unlearn. Um, there were also some um, some basic level information or knowledge in regards to like student development that I did not know and it impacted how I engage with my students. And so I really wanted to know how can I better service my students? How can I better serve um, the Emerging Scholars Program? And so had conversations with my supervisor, um, talked to some colleagues on campus and some of the graduate assistants that, you know, I had met throughout my time at Clemson. They were like student affairs is probably, you know, your best bet, um, especially as you were thinking about like student development. And so in 2018, um, I started in the uh, student affairs program at Clemson and all of those things uh, just came back to me full circle like I started to understand and put names to some of my experiences um, and some of the ways that I showed up as a administrator some of the ways I showed up as a leader um, a supervisor I was really able to kind of dive into those things and say okay you were doing this really wrong um, and this is how you're actually supposed to you know support students and figure out the needs of students and diverse uh, types of students too. So I think mine was more so trying to figure out how I can be a better practitioner, um, getting into this program. And then once I got into the program, meeting individuals like you, uh, Michelle, uh, Rachel, um, Dr. Kendra Stewart Tillman, like all of these amazing women have really helped um, shaped who I am as a practitioner and in a sense shape, you know, my future in student affairs because I know what I want to do. Um, I know where I'm transitioning to at Tulane and I know what I want from that experience too. Like I know that's not the end for me. And I feel like because of those experience of, experiences I had um, in student affairs with the individuals who either are faculty in that program or who are in the student affairs department at Clemson um, in general, like they've all really um, help shape how I want to show up and what I want to do moving forward uh, in the field. All right, thank you so much, everyone. I really appreciate you giving us that snapshot. It helps kind of put the foundation in place for the next part of our discussion, which is so 2021. And I could just ask one question. So what was that about? But I'll, I'll craft things a little more <laughs> intentionally. Um, and let's start with, you know, the COVID pandemic started before 2021. It's continuing after 2021. How's that shown up for each of you um, in work or life or with your students, whatever, whatever you choose to talk about? And whoever would like to go first, that would be great. Um, I'll take this one first. So for me, I work in actually two unrelated things, but we've kind of merged them together. So I have student activities and I have Greek life. Um, and so I was two months into my position when everything kind of shut down with COVID. And with both of these areas being things that pre-COVID relied really heavily on like face-to-face engagement um, it was definitely 
like a challenge at first to get through. And I think um, it was really easy early on for me to feel like defeated or feel like I was missing out on the experience of really being able to do my job because COVID happened. But then it, I had to like change my mindset about it and think, okay, well, this is also a really great learning opportunity for me to really think outside the box on ways that we can engage with these students, whether that was with like events or whether it was with like sorority recruitment. Um, And I think it also brought to light for me some ways that we weren't being super accessible with some of the programs that we were offering, um, especially like when it came to sorority recruitment. I was thinking about, you know, how we have these scheduled events and things that our students go to. And I was like, we never have before now even tried to offer um, like a an alternative time frame or alternative ways for those students to engage with these activities. And now we're kind of being forced to because of COVID. So um, I think for me, again, it was, it was very challenging, but I also was able to, um, you know, implement some new ideas and new ways for our students to be able to come to these events that before we would have just excluded all these populations of students that had jobs or other things that, would keep them from being able to participate. So um, yeah, I know I'm speaking mostly to my job, but I think that was just something that was really impactful for me. Yeah, I think to go off of what you were saying just now about that accessibility piece, Quana, like um, that was something that we really learned too. It was a area of improvement that we really need to look into um, in regards to like how we engage with our students. Um, so Emergent Scholars, you know, a huge part um, of our programming is the summer residential piece where we bring students up to Clemson from the low country part of the state. It's about a three and a half hour drive. And that six week summer program is really our first engagement with some of those students. Um, and we rely heavily on that in-person part. Like we you know, take them on college trips. You know, We have staff staying in the dorms with them. Um, we have them in classes from eight to five. And then we have social engagement with them from five to seven. We have like team building exercises with them to kind of build the familial context of our program. And that's really, been one of the strongest pieces of our program, just how our students love, care, um, and support one another. And that comes from what they build in their summer experience. And so we've relied heavily on that since 2002. And uh, two years ago, once we you know, were in the middle of planning a summer program, and I wanna say it was about, it was March, it was around spring break, we were like uh, working in a group and getting together like the housing, the lodging, the dining, all that stuff, you know, finalizing plans. And then they were like, after spring break, don't come back. And we very quickly had to figure out um, and make our own decision aside from the decision that the university made because we couldn't wait on them to make a decision for us. Um, We had to say like, no, we have to make a decision on whether we're gonna do virtual in-person and we have to completely change what we had been planning since December of the year before. Um, We had to change all of that stuff into a virtual, virtual, engagement in a very short amount of time with no experience in virtual programming um and that was really difficult that was that was really taxing for us um but there was like a team of i want to say six or seven of us who came together and we were able to, to build something that was meaningful but we learned a lot about how we were not accessible to students um how we were not you know, um, reaching out to or leaning into some of the needs of some of our students. And I want to say one of the biggest uh, areas of uh, growth for us was just how we are now still doing virtual uh, programming. Like that is something that Emergent Scholars is going to continue in the future because we see like 
there are students that, you know, prefer that over in-person. Now, we love the in-person. I prefer the in-person. It's important. We're going to bring that back, hopefully summer 2022. But there is some beauty um, and there is some, uh, I don't know, like there's efficiency that can come from virtual events. And that's not something that we believed um, before the pandemic hit. Yeah, so being in this role for only about the last six months, the majority of my COVID experience was being a grad student. Um, it, for me, I learned a lot about myself. And I know probably every day throughout the pandemic, um, all of our professors assured us this is a truly unique experience that will help you in the job market, in the job search, and just how you approach your work with students. Um, so while you guys both excellently touched on the accessibility piece, which I think for better or for worse is, you know, a great outcome of the pandemic is recognizing that need for students. Um, for me, you know, when I knew that I had to set certain expectations for myself and certain boundaries and create, you know, certain um, relationships with stakeholders across campus to make sure that I got the things that I needed, I am now able to reverse that role when I work with students. Um, I think we're doing a really, a really good job right now in trying to cater to what students are asking for rather than assuming what they need. Um, because I think a lot of in that early piece, like you just said, of, you know, we can't wait for the school to make a decision. We have to you know, do something now. Um, we're all kind of going back onto, well, what do we think is gonna work best? And now we've had a whole year of people being remote and saying, well, I prefer it this way, or I need a hybrid, or I need it in person because I can't do virtual anymore. Um, and how, what I think is gonna be interesting moving forward is what do we take away from all this long-term and how much of that is because of COVID, how much of that is because of the changing demographics of students, um, you know, the Gen Z conversation of how they engage with, um, with college. Um, all of that needs to be taken in high regard into what the work becomes, right? So are we doing what we've done for the last, pre-pandemic years, last 10 years, because that's what's worked or because that's what they're asking for and that's what they needed. Um, so I think for me, being more in tune with myself is one of the great blessings of COVID and then being able to then make sure that I'm doing that for students when they're not necessarily asking for it, but encouraging them to seek it out of asking for their needs. I appreciate that. I think about you all as um, young professionals, emerging professionals, and the amount of time you have in your careers ahead of you, and this idea of new ways of doing and knowing and innovation, and with technology now as one of the competencies for ACPA and NASPA, it's like, I feel like there's an opportunity for you all as leaders to throw out that we can't or we haven't ever done it that way before because it's like okay this is what we're doing you need to be ready to do it in this new way in 15 minutes and so um i i wish there were other ways that we could have gone about learning some of this but i appreciate what you all are sharing in terms of some of the learning and growth that's come out of the experience as well um Another thing that has, and this is not new, this is enduring, um, but it has come to the forefront of conversations in different ways 
Um, violence against people of color has not been deterred by the pandemic. So when you think about murders, trials, jury decisions, and other events related, particularly to black and brown people, but people of color in general, how has that informed your work and your lived experiences this year? Um, we're seeing some results coming out of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery and, and a lot of those things. And this is, again, it's not new. It's maybe visible in ways more recently than it has been. Um, but those incidents are in conversation, they're in students' lives and they're in your lives as professionals. So um, what reflection or thoughts or um, ways forward maybe do you have as you think about those types of incidents? For me, when all of this was like, not that it ever ends, but when all of this was like really happening, um, it was very difficult for me at work um, for a couple of reasons. But um, obviously one of those reasons being that we want to be able to support our students because, you know, this is a traumatic thing, like as black and brown people to live through and to see this on the news and to hear it talked about all the time, like it becomes like really traumatizing. Um, and I think so at the university I work for now, there's not a lot of people of color that are like in staff and faculty position. So it's a different community than what I was used to when I was working at Clemson University, where in my office, there were like four or five people. Whereas in the office I'm in now, it's me and one other person of color. Um, so I'll say support wise. And at the time there was no one. Um, it was difficult being the only person of color in the office as all of this was going on and not feeling like there was a lot of support around me and then also feeling that as a staff member who wants to be there to support their students and you know talk with them through it and give them space to you know say whatever they need to say but then also from just the staff side feeling really lonely in that so I think for me it was a time where I was really re reflecting on like my work environment and not to say that is like the biggest thing in the world and that not to take away from like what was actually happening. But I think just thinking about it from the professional end and like moving forward, what I would want my work environment to be like, um, I think that's something that I found to be really important. Um, because yeah, like I said, it was just a really traumatizing time and it was difficult for me every day to come into work with all of that going on and just seeing things on social media and like seeing people's different opinions about it. And especially thinking, I think for me, I think, oh, we're in the field of student affairs. There's a lot of people that are going to understand like social justice and all these things or at least just be like compassionate or empathetic to like people of color who are like dealing with this on a daily basis. And I found that that wasn't necessarily the case. So um, that was also a little bit difficult for me to just realize, okay, maybe it's not best for me to have my coworkers on social media because to see these things in addition to just like what's happening was just really a lot. Um, that was a lot. I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> Don't apologize for that. That was great. Um... I think uh, something that you brought up just made me think about just like some of my own privileges that I hold, like working in the Division of Inclusion and Equity, like I'm able to have some of these conversations like 
every day. You know, I feel like there's a, a safe space in my workspace, in my work environment. And so thinking about people at the university, people at other universities um, that walk into, you know, their offices or into their meetings on a daily basis with people who may not look like them or may not support the causes that they support. Like, you know, there's privilege in the types of office that I, you know, that people like me work in, like multicultural centers and, you know, offices that are specifically for um, the support of, you know, Black, Indigenous, you know, students of color, other marginalized identities also. And so that's something I'm reflecting on as I hear you talking to uh, Kwana. But just, I think for me over the past year and a half, like this has solidified these things happening, black people, brown people being murdered, you know, by police, by people like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, even though he murdered, it was white folk, but like just people being murdered unjustly, I think has solidified to me that I'm in the right space. I guess in regards to like my career, like I have this past semester, I taught a, um, uh, connections course for first year students in the connections program and that was the first time I like ever taught a course by myself and the fact that I was able to walk into those spaces with the students who were all black and brown um, and was able to create a space where they felt comfortable and cared for um, and able to talk about some of these things happening um, in the larger scheme like that was amazing for me like of course, it's draining at times, right? But the fact that that's something I would have benefited me um, if I had that in undergrad. And I think about all the other students who are at predominantly white institutions who don't have faculty members or staff members that are of color or that hold marginalized identities and how sometimes those conversations aren't fostered and those pieces of the student um, experience isn't fostered. And so I was really happy to be able to bring that to students, but also just to be able to learn from my conversations with those students too. So like these horrible things happening um, in the world on college campuses, um, I think have, you know, just allowed me to process and reflect on the fact that I'm doing the right thing in my career. And then I'm showing up in spaces and learning and developing and growing and, you know, realizing my shortcomings and my strengths and all that stuff um, as I'm engaging with these students. And that's been really beautiful for me just to like see my own growth, but to also just build that type of environment for students to like come in and be like, nah, I want to be here today. Like you want us to, you want us to talk about our experiences and they don't get that in other places. And to hear students say that is really disheartening for me. But again, going back to the fact that this has solidified to me that like, this is where I need to be. Yeah, I'm not sure how I follow up those two great, <laughs> those great two great stories. Um, I think, you know, Michelle, how you introduced the question is this is something that's always been happening, right? And it's just now that there's a greater spotlight on on these um, on these issues. Um, just specifically to my line of work, um, one thing that I've come to understand that we've done more recently um, is have special attention on our hug groups, um, our historically underrepresented groups. Um, and I think having that spotlight has allowed us to um, really have special attention in creating those connections across campus with those student groups, with those offices that provide their support in, to those students. Um, and for us, it kind of allows us to, you know, reflect back on the work that we're doing and how it, you know, goes across all campus um, for, for students that specifically need these focuses of attention when they are going through those times of trauma, they are maybe necessarily focusing on that career aspect, um, but we get to put ourselves in those spaces where they are. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, is great.
Thank you all very much for that. I appreciate it. It's um, ongoing work. And, um, you know, like I said, while it may be more in the spotlight, that even that comment comes from my place of whiteness, right? It's been in the spotlight for people for a long time, just not always in the center of conversations where there are a lot of white people observing and participating and engaging. So, you know, another thing that unfolded early in the year, um, so shortly before the inauguration of President Biden and Vice President Harris, we had the January 6th insurgency. So more violence and more tension and fear and a whole bunch of stuff came out around that. In addition, the US withdrawal from Iraq and just so many other events, both here and abroad. When you think about some of these political issues, how has that either shown up in your work maybe obliged you to additional labor, um, just like uh, some of the other things that we've talked about today. And then also, how's that informed your lives beyond your job? So we went through political transition and there were some people who were celebrating that and there were some people who were insurgents in our political process and now those uh, trials are unfolding. So thoughts, observations, recollections about that piece of our experience this past year. This is like a, another question, but do y'all remember where y'all were when you like found out that there was this uh, insurrection happening? Like I remember being home on my couch and like, I just stopped everything I was doing because I thought it was so wild and ridiculous. I think I got like a, you know, you get those messages on your phone that say like breaking news, something like that. CNN sent me one of those and I was like, can't be. And then I looked on at the, I turned on my CNN or whatever news station because I was flipping between a few and I just was, I was floored. Like I could not believe that this was happening. And like the entire time I'm thinking like, what if, the, like, what if there were black and brown people doing this? Like what would be the reaction? And you know, the answer is very different than the reaction of what happened in uh, reality on January 6th of this year. But that's just, that's one of the things that I keep thinking about. Like, what would this have looked like if the people who are protesting, who are, you know, breaking into the Capitol looked like me? Um, and the unfortunate, you know, reality is that there probably would have been some tear gas and some uh, bullets and some more people injured from the police as a uh, you know as opposed to like being injured because they were like there right if that makes sense i feel like the words there were just jumbled but <laughs> like i think that response would have been very different and that upsets me so much even to this day um and so i feel like this year i've been so desensitized to everything happening in the world it's been like oh this is happening okay there's another variant of the coronavirus okay now the people are fighting about not wanting to wear a mask now the people are fighting because they you know are wearing masks like it's just so much that i'm like what bs can surprise me next and you know i'm waiting on the next thing like i i feel like there, <laughs> there's going to be something else i'm just waiting on it so like that's my initial reflection just like wondering what would have happened if those bodies were black and brown uh, that were participating in that insurrection, but also just, you know, de being desensitized to the shitty things happening in this country. Oh, I'm sorry, I probably can't say that word. Uh, 
Okay, being desensitized to the things happening in this country, whether it's politics, whether it's like the entertainment industry, whether it's, you know, things happening with coronavirus and the vaccine um, output and things like that. Like, I have just literally been like, what can you bring to me next? <laughs> I'm over it. Listen, I feel like I really don't have much to add, but Jason, exactly what you just said, all of it is like exactly how I felt about all of that. And it was just a very chaotic time, honestly. And again, also feeling just very desensitized to like everything. It got to a point to where I was just like, we're here. <laughs> like, we're hey, here. Let me focus on this job and, you know, <laughs> live in this capitalist system and <laughs> live in and not focus on like depression, which is caused by the, the media and the things I'm seeing happening in this country, Jesus. Right. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, it's you know, we never thought we'd get to that point, right, where we have people storming the Capitol and, you know, like that could be a real thing. You know, I remember thinking back to when Trump was running for office and I was like, oh, there's no way he could be president, right? Um, so, yeah, now we're at this point where it's like, okay, well, well, what's the next thing, right? So it's, it's kind of, for me at least, helped me prepare for the unexpected, right? Like there's never gonna be a global pandemic where, you know, no one can go outside. Well, guess what? You know, that did happen. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, you know, not trying to say that anything good can come of it, right? But like, you know, yeah, so you I I'm gonna I'm gonna pull this out of the chat. Yeah, Jason, you just said flexibility, yeah, resiliency, right? These are all the things that, you know, when we look at all the terrible things that are going on in the world, like We've still made it, right? We're here. We're here talking on the podcast. Um, and we still continue to do good work for our students. So knowing that through that resilience, resiliency, through that flexibility, um, we are going to be able to impact our students and make sure that they have these same reflections, same learning experiences from whatever is going to happen in the world, because you know, that is it's going to happen to us, right? One way or another. I think that's been something that I've been uh, intentional about doing too. So the classes that I've been teaching and the students that I've been engaging with, like I try to have conversations about this type of stuff, right? Like, because I feel like it's important for them to, you know, build that ability and confidence in having these types of conversations. Um, and so I've been really intentional about like, okay, so like we're going to do a, a current events uh, thing in class or a, how are you feeling about X, Y, Z? I feel like in one of the classes I was talking about, like the, uh, not Lil Nas X, the Megan Thee Stallion, the baby, and all that stuff. You know, I want to be intentional about like having conversations about things having, happening outside of the classroom because that is so important. And I feel like I see so often where faculty members, staff members, like they only talk about like the things happening at the institution. And that is, you know, I feel like that's doing damage to our students because that isn't the entirety of their lives. Like they are impacted by the same things that we're impacted by that don't happen inside the university. So I think it's important to like try to, um, be intentional about bringing some of those, you know, shitty things happening outside of the world into the classroom just for some, you know, a little debate, discourse, whatever you have. Yeah, and I, I'm so thankful, Michelle, uh, that you're here hosting the podcast because that was one of the things that got me through grad school, right? All of our classes started with, how are y'all doing this week, right? You know, because we only met once a week. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we probably took up more time than Michelle had allotted for to, you know, decompress about what was going on in the world, going in on our offices and our GA ships. Um, 
But yeah, when we look at our students holistically, right, like they're not just here for our individual services that we offer. Um, you know, when I meet with a student to talk about career, it's not just their career that they're focused on. It's their major, it's their home life, it's their work life. It's um, not only their interests, but also their values. Um, and all of that, you know, if we, if we are more intentional about focusing on our students holistically in that manner, I think it only serves them in a greater way. I love that you started with, do you remember where you were when? Because we all, every generation has that set of moments and that's one for this generation. And um, I was doing something on the computer and my brother, who has a bit of a flair for the dramatic, texted me and said, do you see what's happening right now? And I'm like, no, turn CNN on right now. I was like, in a minute. And then I spent the rest of the day sitting there and i think i don't know we were on he was on maybe msnbc and i was on cnn so we were exchanging bitlets of information but um it really did set the stage for don't try to predict you know in student affairs your job is based on what happened the night before and who walks in your office door in the morning anyway but this has shown us on such a, a bigger scale um, and I always caution people, don't ever say, now I've seen it all, because you are setting yourself up for something dramatic. And it could be positive. We It doesn't feel like everything that's happening right now is positive. So, um, but, oh, I just set myself up for a beautiful segue. So let's go to something positive. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, popular culture. And so, I kind of went back and looked at what's happened in the past year and just pulled a few things. So some of the things were Squid Game, Lil Nas X was in the spotlight a lot this year, hashtag Free Britney, Royal Family Drama, and uh, the end of Kim and Kanye, and the reemergence of TikTok. Um, so with all of that going on in entertainment, whether it's streaming, whether it's um, theaters reopening, um, online and social media engagement, what sticks with each of you as major events, experiences, or moments from 2021 on the entertainment side? I wanna say, I think the best thing that came out of the pandemic was streaming movies from home. Like HBO Max, like really were at the top of the game when they allow like movies that were supposed to be released in theaters to be released like on the HBO Max app at home. Like that was that was everything to me. Like, and I hope moving forward more like movie production companies and uh, streaming services continue with those types of, um, I guess, ways to release movies because it's just more accessible too. Like there are people who can't go to the movies. Like, and that is allowing them to see those movies when they're released and all that good stuff. So I think that's one of the, the biggest things for me as well as like Britney Spears being free. Like I remember, you know, in the early 2000s, I was, you know, with my sisters choreographing some Britney Spears uh, routines in the bedroom. And so like to see, you know, all of the things that have happened to Britney Spears end in this conservatorship being terminated, you know, that was just a great full circle moment. And I'm really excited for her and what this means about her liberating herself and, you know, having control of her body, her finances, like 
literally who she can marry. Like, I think that's been, you know, an amazing, a horrible journey, of course, for her, right? Like me speaking with my, you know, male privilege of, you know, not having experienced that also, you know, want to acknowledge that, but I'm really excited to see what this means for her moving forward. Um, but I also hope, you know, that she continues to take care of herself too, because I know this is about to be a big change um, for her. So, you know, those are some things that I, you know, was really happy that happened in 2021. I was and still am a huge fan of the reemergence of TikTok. <laughs> I think TikTok is like, the best social media platform ever. Um, personally, I've made quite a few friends through TikTok. I have learned all kinds of random things from TikTok. Um, and I mean, truly like all over the place, like um, even with like Lil Nas X and everything that was going on with him, like it was very interesting to me to see like the spiritual slash the Christian side of TikTok and all of the comments that there were about, you know, homosexuality and the different visual displays that Lil Nas X was using in his videos. And just, um, I was just very interested in, in all of it and just learning and listening to the different sides of everyone's opinions about everything. Um, so I don't know. I feel like TikTok is a good mix of like comedy and, learning random things like cooking and also just like these political conversations so I feel like it's a great mix of like all of these different platforms like Twitter and Instagram and just everything so um, I'm a big fan of that personally. <laughs> yeah I don't know um, if I can agree with uh, either of those things. TikTok has been the bane of my existence. I can't get off it. Um, and, and with the movies being streamed from home, I think it's made people a little too comfortable when they get into the real movie theaters. Uh, like I said, I saw, I've seen Spider-Man twice already and these people, they think they're in their living room and can talk through a whole movie. Like it's uh, like they forgot what going to the movies was like. So, um, but no, I think for me also in, in entertainment, um, like I said, a big Marvel fan, um, Shang-Chi, uh, Simu Liu, first Asian-led Marvel movie or superhero movie even. Um, fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, I think Squid Game also was a really great thing. If you want to talk about stuff we streamed at home, Squid Game was amazing. I binged it all in, I think, a day and a half. Um, but I think also it brought up some really important conversations around foreign films. Um, I think some of the conversation was around, you know, watching it sub with subtitles or watching it with, um, you know, the American English dubs, um, but also just the process. If you look through the story of where that project came from, I think it's been around for, I think, what, seven years or so. And it took 10 years. Yeah, seven to 10 years. Right. Uh, from conception in um, the creator shopping it around to different, you know, agencies to get it produced and you know, it wasn't until Netflix, this giant corporation picked it up and pushed it out um, that it was able to become a thing. Um, there's also been some interesting conversation around um, how that relates to some American capitalistic ventures, right? You know, just looking at the overall message of the story of like, yeah, would it be cool to compete for millions of dollars? But if you look at all the people that are in that place and why are they in that place um, of being in that situation where they have to compete for that money at the cost of their lives, right? Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, 
But yeah, I think that's opened up a great dialogue just from a cinematic standpoint, from a message standpoint. Um, and I was really glad to be a part of it. I think they teased maybe a season two, so we'll see. All right. Well, let's bring it to student affairs. If we look at student affairs specifically, a lot of conferences were back in person in 2021. Um, this label, the Great Resignation, um, I think it was created this year. I don't remember hearing it before this year, um, but it showed up in a lot of different places in higher ed, but also beyond higher education. Masking and vaccine requirements were all over the board, depending on the institution and individual institutions changed how they were approaching that over the course of the year. So again, what sticks with you? And when you think about everything that's happened, what that's unfolded in higher ed and student affairs do you think will have an influence as we move ahead? What's positive or negative? What are some takeaways that are gonna inform what higher education looks like in the future? The, the first thing I saw on this list uh, was talking about the great resignation, uh, you know, being in career services. That's something that we're looking at so strongly, um, not just from a higher ed standpoint, uh, shameless plug, we do have a couple of openings um, and we are finding it difficult to fill some of them. Um, but people are more in tune as to what their non-negotiables are when it comes to work. You know, is that salary, what am I willing to give up for a certain number in a salary? Um, being able to work remotely. Um, I have a friend who's job searching right now and she said, you know, if it's not remote, I'm not applying, right? Um, so companies and industries, yes, are gonna have to adapt to meeting these new people coming into the workforce um, that aren't going to necessarily bend as much as they would have to, oh, I'm so lucky to get this job, Right. But now it's, oh, like we're lucky to fill these positions because these students that are coming out of here kind of know their value, know their worth um, and are demanding it. Right. I think that's something that had this pandemic not happened, had this, you know, uh, recession, you know, not happen if you want to call it a recession um, may not have happened. Right. Because everyone was in that mindset of I'll be lucky to get a job when I get out of college. I'll be lucky to get a job in my field. And now, you know, for the first time in a while, the roles are kind of reversed where students have some of the power of uh, being able to say where they want to go, what they want to do, um, explore those passion areas that, you know, were maybe not seen as a career um, or even work for themselves, right? And make something of that, you know, with TikTok and social media and all these new ways that you can promote yourself. Um, that's something that is a lot more feasible than I would say it was for previous generations. I think to add on to that, um, Sam, like there is, you know, efficiency in virtual work. You know, before the pandemic struck, like I thought I had to be in the office every day from 8.30 or whatever time I came in to four. Um, and that was the only way that I could get good work done. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic hit and I literally with my team created an entire virtual um, event or virtual summer program and then a virtual summit for students in the state of South Carolina 
that was well attended. It was a meaningful event. It was an intentional event. Students got a lot out of it. We as a team got a lot out of it. And so I think um, going back to your uh, words on like just being able to adjust to this, I guess, new normal. And I hate to say that. I know we all hate hearing that, but like there is beauty from working from home. Like you can get great things done and it doesn't all have to be done, you know, in an office. It can be done on your couch. It can be done in your bed. Um, and I think just uh, hoping that higher education um, as well as other industries look at that and actually learn something from it. Because, you know, on top of seeing some organizations actually incorporating these lessons into their, um, into the, how they engage with their employees, I also see, you know, this discourse where people are like, no, like you gotta be back in the office. So there are people who have, you know, been in the same pandemic that we've been in, but are still not understanding, you know, how you can learn from some of those mistakes or some, from some of the, the beauty of working virtually. And so um, I really hope that, you know, more industries, more people, more employers are able to kind of see that beauty in working from home and not, you know, mandating that their employees are in the office Monday through Friday, like give us some flexibility. You know what I mean? Cause like we're literally at work more than we're at home for the most part. So like, yeah, that's something I wanted to add to that piece. And I think that's really gonna, um, you know, help me figure out like next moves for me too. Like is the place I'm going, are they going to, you know, be respectful of the fact that I don't have to be in here all day, every day to get good things done. I guess to add on to that, I think my observation has been, and I feel like Sam and Jason, you both kind of touched on this, is just that people's values are maybe a little different or they've just reevaluated like what's the most important thing to them when it comes to their jobs, whether that's money or, um, you know, for a lot of student affairs people who have left the field, I feel like work-life balance has been a big one that has been talked about quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, I'm hoping moving forward, that will be something that employers or universities kind of reconsider how much work actually does need to be done in, in the office or physically on a campus in a space. Um, I think that's something that we probably can look to see change over the next year or so, um, just reevaluating that as a whole, so, yeah. Excellent, thank you. So looking ahead to 2022, I would love to hear what predictions you all have. If you could each give me one or two predictions about what you think will happen in any context. So it can be work, it can be popular culture, social media, whatever you want. Um, but then also maybe a couple of predictions about things you would love to see happen. So, you know, there's, I see this happening. And also I would love it if this would happen you don't have to be realistic about these things okay because sometimes just speaking it you never know what wheels that will get turning and so we're gonna we're gonna send some um positive anticipation out into the world um yeah i think i'll, I'll just stop there so what are your predictions and um dreams for the future I have a work-related dream for the future as we're talking about all this remote opportunities and whatnot. I would love for our work days to not be five days a week. <laughs> if we could decrease our work days to like four days a week, 
I think that would help people to just be happier and more focused when they are at work. So that would be one. And then I think something that will happen is that we will see more remote job opportunities or more like hybrid opportunities for people to work because I think a lot of people after going through the pandemic have really enjoyed that and are seeking that so I think a lot of places will have to kind of shift their expectations to meet the needs and wants of people who are looking for jobs. Um, I think for me something that I uh think what happens when I hope happens is that employers will begin to see their employees as more than just, you know, what they can produce for that organization. You know, I think I talked earlier about, you know, looking at students as holistic individuals, looking at, you know, staff members, faculty members, like your employers, your, sorry, your employees as holistic individuals, like the things that happen to them outside of their work impacts how they do their work. So I think um, for me, I really hope um, that that is something that changes. Um, this is something that I've been thinking about for a while and it's probably like it's a horrible one, but I really think this is going to happen. Like I really think Kyle Rittenhouse is going to run for public office. Um, I really think he's being set up to do that. Like I've seen him in South Carolina and pictures talking to lawyers and things like that. I really hope it doesn't happen, but I really think he's going to run for public office. I think they are giving him a platform to do that. Um, as horrible as it sounds in my opinion, my personal opinion. Oh man. Um, so I think one thing that I would love to see happen um, is I'd love to see students start to either A, re-engage with, you know, just being on campus involved in activities and programmings, because um, I know that's been a real struggle just for us, right, of seeing what, what can we do to either, you know, guess, do something hybrid, do something virtual, you know, is it on a Tuesday at 12 versus a Thursday at, you know, 10? Um, seeing them come back, right, once, you know, now that the vaccines are starting to become more common and uh, the mask mandates are being lifted across campuses, um, just seeing students come back and be re-engaged with, with the programming and stuff that we're all working so hard to put on for our students. Um, oh man, you, you really threw me off with that, with your think, Jason, because now that's all I could think about. Um, no, I think, I'll go back to the movie since I brought that up a couple times. I think the multiverse of madness with uh, Doctor Strange and Wanda Maximoff is going to be bigger than Spider-Man was. Um, I think that we don't even know um, kind of what that's gonna go into. One of the things that I think, I'll give you another uh, love to see happen. I would love to see where the movie splits into two different endings. And in the middle or like hour mark into the movie, they make you go to a different movie theater and see one half of the movie and then other people see a different half of the movie. So that's what I would love to see. Well, Marvel needs to hire you like right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was great, everyone. Thank you. Um, and I'll keep track and I'll let you know if you're right or wrong, because you know I like to do that with people. That's why I'm a faculty member. <laughs> um, anything else that you want? I do have like a, a wrap up question, but anything else that you want to talk about, observe or um, yeah, observations that you want to make? Or are you good? Everybody good? All right. Well, um, 
I, you, you made some like broad predictions and spoke some hope out into the world. What about for you personally? What is one prediction you have for yourself or one thing that you're really hoping for for yourself as we move into 2022? You know, I think um, for me, I hope that I continue on this journey of like, you know, love and self and myself and how I present uh, or show up into places. I think um, throughout the pandemic, I've been very intentional about like learning more about myself and um, things like that and just figuring out more ways to be positive. So um, just continuing with that and being more intentional, especially as I relocate to New Orleans, because I know that's going to be a, a huge stress inducing thing for me. but um ensuring that I don't kind of fall back on the process progress that I've already made um so yeah for me just continuing with that progress and um, loving myself more understanding myself more um I think is, is a big hope for myself I feel like <clears throat> sorry um I feel like mine sounds very similar to Jason's it's just um overall just wanting like peace and harmony in all areas of my life in my job and my personal life just overall um trying to be more positive as well so just being happy yeah uh for me very similar um i think i want to continue to be as reflective as i've been um over the last year um didn't mean for that to fit the theme of the podcast. Uh, but when I think back to, you know, how tough grad school was for me, and it was, you know, basically crawling across the finish line, you know, now that I'm a working professional, like, there's no finish line unless, you know, we're looking at 55, 57, 62, whatever the retirement age now is. Um, so knowing that I've got a lot ahead of me, um, and knowing that, you know, thanks to all the great people that I've come in contact with through SACSA, Clemson, Student Affairs, um, I had the support along the way. Well, thank you so much, everyone. I really enjoyed our conversation today. You brought up some things that I hadn't anticipated, which means that I chose the right guests. So good job, Michelle. Um, but I think it'll be fun to look back on these a year from now and kind of see like, okay, so what, what did come next, you know, and what hopes did we achieve? Um, and maybe we can hold each other accountable to being better selves and continuing to reflect um, because there was some forced reflection outside of the program that you all were a part of, but um, that the world kind of put us in situations where what does matter, you know, and how do we work to achieve those things? So, but it's a busy time of year. I've just decided there's no not busy time of year. It's just a differently busy kind of year or time of year. So thank you for making some time um, to talk with me today. You all know, I hope that I appreciate you very much. Today's Essay Today podcast was brought to you by SACSA and we thank them for their support. Additionally, as always, this show would not be possible without my producer, Jen Lowe at the University of South Florida. Thanks for your support and collaboration, Jen. You're going to like this episode a lot. And as we close, I'd like to leave you with a quote. Um, this is from Amanda Gorman, the poet who spoke at the inauguration back in January. And the quote is, hope isn't something that we ask of others. It's something that we have to demand from ourselves. 
So thanks to each of you for listening. My name is Michelle Botcher. And again, it's been a pleasure to host this episode. Congratulations to everyone on persisting through 2021. Let's hope for more peace, joy, love, and justice in 2022. Take care, everyone, and have a beautiful day.